Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, I'm joined by my good friend and partner in crime, Lenny Macrina. Lenny and I are co-founders of Champion PT and Performance up in Boston, and I'm sure he doesn't need a bigger introduction. We all know and love Lenny. In this podcast, we're going to talk about ACL graft options, the pros and cons of each, and how we should approach the different options as rehabilitation specialists. As always, some great rants from Lenny. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Reinold from MikeReinold.com. Hey, Len, welcome to the podcast today. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? <laughs> great. I am so, excited. <laughs> so formal and so great to officially have you on this podcast, in addition to obviously the podcast we've been doing for five years now or whatever it's been. But, um, you know, good to have you as a guest because I think, you know, your performance on our other podcast, I mean, you need your own, you need your own episode, right? This, <laughs> this is a full, full Lenny episode we have here, right? This, this is going to be good. I'll, uh, I'll probably go on a rant at some point and um, probably we'll talk about golf at some point and then it'll circle back around to physical therapy at some point. So it'll be, it'll be fun. That's it. That sounds like a brief uh, snapshot of your Twitter account, right? So it sounds like my Twitter. It sounds like my day. It sounds like every day at work. So. Yeah. We, you know, we, we were talking about that. I posted on Twitter a little bit ago about, you know, like, like the, the reason why you may be on Twitter. And this was, you know, from a conversation from you and I, and, uh, and it was funny, uh, Shelby asked me, she, she put a good comment in there. Um, um, and just asked like, you know, how do I prefer to learn? And it it was funny. It was like, you know, I love to learn on social media, but I learned about golf and smoking a brisket and, <laughs> right. and, you know, those sorts of things. That's how I like to learn on social media. Right. But, you know, you know, it, it's funny. I think a lot of people are saying that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I, I what I get out of it is, you know, the, the discussions, you know, with certain people, um, but then also some people throw a random paper out there like, Oh, I missed that one. Right. And then I'll, I'll go in this rabbit hole of, Ooh, okay, good. Is that, is that, and it leads me into this world of thinking. So it's, uh, it's valuable for me, but yeah, on Instagram, I'm just looking at golf swings and, and, uh, <laughs> and what Rob Mansky smoked for a brisket that weekend or something like that. <laughs> he, he does smoke some good meat. I, you know, I've got a lot of good people that I follow that, that have great stuff, but, um, awesome. So I, I mean, I think that's a good lead in, right? So you recently had, um, what I would say is a fairly large Twitter discussion, right? I mean, you know, that, that was, was a pretty good, good, that was a pretty good response, right? Because, yep. and you, you know, you got a lot of opinions like doctors, physical therapists and stuff. It was great. Yeah. Yet you had a big discussion about graft choices following an ACL reconstruction. And yeah. I, I thought it was super interesting to read all the responses. Like, and it was, it was good to hear different opinions and stuff like that. And I thought that would be a good uh, topic for today's podcast because I think it's, it's a really big, important uh, thing to discuss. Like, you know, PTs, especially younger professionals, they need to know, you know, what's out there. They need to know the options and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So um, why don't we start with that? And why don't we kind of go over there? So ACL reconstruction is one surgery, right? Yeah. But for some reason, you know, the type of graft we use, there are a ton of options. Why don't you yeah. start with that and kind of just, you know, you know, get everybody up to date. What are the current options for ACL reconstruction for a graft? Yeah, that tweet was spawned ironically um, by a blog post that I wrote for you um, a few years ago that mm. I am still editing. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> edited. Oh, that's right. I You're am, making a new one. <laughs> yeah, I am. 
and I'm still actually working on it. And uh, it, it's, it's interesting because I wanted to dive back in and just see, has anything changed? Um, you'd be surprised. The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? I think that's an old term from somewhere. And um, so I, I wanted to just dive in and see. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I love interacting with surgeons because I want to hear what they have to say because they're doing it every day. And we're relying on their knowledge of the research and just their information when they make a decision. So we have a piece in that puzzle. We have a say in that decision-making oftentimes, especially at our practice, where we have direct access, where we can see people right after an injury. So I wanted to just see what was going on out there. And it just led to this huge discussion. So for me, I think the, the big four, right, are going to be patella quad tendon, hamstring tendon, and cadaver graft, right? So you have the big four. And then it's just a matter of fitting potentially the right graft for the person and the surgeon. Now, some would say, and I tend to agree that the big three are going to be your patella, hamstring, and your quad tendon autograft. So it's using your own tissue. The big three are probably going to be, do they make a difference? I say yes. Some say no. Um, you know, it, it, it depends on the person, depends on the situation, depends on the rehab. And that's the problem with a lot of the studies is we try to control for the graft choice. And we say, all right, they'd have a 1.8 times increased risk of a, of a re-tear if they use a hamstring over a patellotent or whatever the research is. It's probably not even that high. Um, but they never control for the rehab. And that's such a huge component uh, of, of getting somebody back. And so the big three, I think, are all good options. It's just what's the best option for the person sitting in front of me going to the surgeon who does specific grafts on a day-to-day basis. You want to, you ask a surgeon to do a quad tendon graft, he or she may not be able to may not be used to doing that graft, but you are you're trying to get them to do it. And it's just not their comfort zone. And so the big three come to mind, and then I make a decision based off of the person sitting in front of me and who the surgeon they're seeing. So that's a long-winded answer. But and then yeah. after that, now it's just coming up with risk reward. Like what what do we got? What do we got going? Is a 16-year-old female who's loose jointed and is a cheerleader or um, you know, is playing soccer or something like that? Or is it a 25-year-old male who's going back to uh, you know, flag football with his buddies and wants to go skiing? Or are they just kind of relatively sedentary and there's a freak accident and they're 35 years old and they just need maybe a hamstring graft or even a cadaver graft, believe it or not. You know, there are options out there. I'm not against any of them. Just picking the right one for that person. Right. And and that's probably that's probably gonna be a general consensus that we probably get from an episode like right. this is that yeah. there is no one answer potentially. But you know, Definitely. that doesn't mean there isn't a, a, a bigger or better. So so right. you know, to break it down a little bit again, like I think you started top level was you know, an autograft or an allograft, right? right. An auto- autograft being your tissue and an allograft being a cadaver tissue. Right. Right. Um yeah, I, m- maybe m- maybe like that to me is, is is like a good first place to start. Um, yeah. what, wh- what is it about the allografts that you don't like? Is allografts off the table? Is there a certain subset that maybe should get an allograft, you know, a cadaver right. tissue, or is that pretty much something that you don't recommend for anybody? Yeah, no, I mean, it, if they're older, if they just need a stable knee and they want to play some like doubles tennis or something like that, I'm not against it. I had a lady a couple of years ago get one with one of the surgeons that we use all the time, and I should probably do fine. The risk is I've seen it enough, and I don't know what the literature says, obviously, or honestly, because I, I don't know if it's truly studied, but I, I, I worry about that allograft being absorbed or basically eaten up by your body. 
Um, your body recognizes it as a foreign substance, a foreign, you know, something different in your body. It's not your own cellular makeup. It's not your own tissue. And, and literally your immune system will just chew away at it. Where you'll have, I've heard numerous, numerous people say that they had an episode where there was almost nothing. It was like they just misstepped and their knee completely gave out. And so they did an MRI and there was no graft there. Your body, the body had completely chewed it up. And so I hear that those enough that it just, I, it makes me worry about an allograft. And again, I don't know what the percentage is. Is it 5%? Is it 2%? Is it 10%? I don't know, but I just know it's enough that I, I'm always hesitant to recommend it. And if I'm going to recommend it, it's going to be somebody who's older, not doing as much activity, not going, not doing like high level skiing or even any skiing and somebody who just got, wants a stable knee. And then if it's not that, and then I automatically go back to autographed and then I start figuring out that I do kind of almost an algorithmic thinking in my head of what's going to be the best for them. You know, and that's a good, uh, that's a good way of thinking of it too. So I like how that's almost like a first step maybe to use the cadaver right. tissue or the allograft tissue. But I bet you there's actually even times where, you know, like for example, an older individual that doesn't need a lot of, uh, you know, maybe sport activities with their lower body, uh, yeah. still though, like maybe you go hamstring graph or something, right? I mean, there's, there's, you could, there's absolutely. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. There's the, others out there for sure. So absolutely. The, the hamstring graph, you know, the 30 plus 30 to 45, something like that. I would probably recommend a hamstring is when you start getting into the 50, 55, 60 year old who wants a stable knee, has some issues with functional stuff. Their knee is given away. They want to go skiing still. They're active. Um, you know, I'm getting close to that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Would I do a cadaver? I probably wouldn't. I'd probably, I'd probably go some kind of autograph just because I know of what could go wrong. And right. I, again, it's a risk reward thing for me. And I don't know the, right. the, the old, the old adage of go cadaver. It's a faster rehab. Um, it's less pain. Um, it, it, it's just, it's just not true because it's not your own tissue. It takes longer for it to incorporate than an autograph than, than your own right. tissue. Yeah, you have so to go you slower. worry about early, early retail or doing something dumb or the, the whole immune response to it where you, you get some uh, eaten away of the graph. So it's little things like that that just stick in my head and I just, I just can't, I can't handle those. <laughs> yeah, and what, what are the, like, so just so we understand, so for an allograft, what, do you, what are the most common types of allograft tissue? What are they using for a graft? Uh, patella tendon, Achilles. Um, you know, those are going to be your, your two, and from what I've seen, um, I don't, I don't think they're using any hamstring like that I've seen. Probably patellatin and, and Achilles, or maybe tib, tibialis. Mm. Um, but I don't see a lot in my practice. I guess because I'm seeing the 15 to 30-year-old right. ACL, and every once in a while, every maybe few years, I'll see somebody who had a cadaver graft. And, right. you know, it, it's you rehab them, and you tell them to go slowly. And, and we did with this person who I just saw recently, a couple of years ago. And so far, so good. You know, she's playing tennis and playing a little recreational golf and, you know, she works out at a facility still. So it's, it's fun to get eyes from her. Yeah. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. All right. So, so allograft tissue, probably our least favorite, right? You know, I think I that's, so. yeah. safe, that's safe to say. I mean, you, you always want to use your own tissue as, as best as yeah. possible. So now that we've maybe identified that, so autograft is our preferred. Why don't you go through, you know, the big three that you mentioned? So patellar tendon, quad tendon, and hamstring graft, you know, what, what, what are the differences between them and what are the pros and cons of each? Yeah. Uh, for me, if I have a younger athlete, I automatically in my head start off the teleton graft. That is the gold standard, so to speak. And that was my tweet, you know, recently, not to date the episode. Um, but that was my, that was my, that's the gold standard. And, and Dr. Dugas, Dr. Jeff Dugas, a Birmingham friend of ours and colleague we used to work with, 
he completely agreed and said it's the gold standard because that's what we put in high level athletes and nothing has really changed with that nobody's been able to prove it otherwise and that's why we still consider it the gold standard so i start off patella tendon graft you when you dissect out the middle third of the patella tendon the patella tendon is roughly 30 millimeters wide or three centimeters wide they take out the middle 10 millimeters or well, one centimeter but when they take out the middle third they take out a piece of bone from the patella and they take out a piece of bone from the tibia. And so that bone, patella tendon bone, gets inserted into the joint as your new graft. And you get bone from the two ends healing into bone from the femur and the tibia. So you have good bony healing. And we think, you know, bone heals in about six to eight weeks. So you have good graft fixation. You're not going to get graft uh, elongation, most likely. And you have the blood coming from the bone that's growing into the femur in the tibia that can infiltrate the graft and give you that ligament, ligament, ligamentization process, easy to say, um, probably a little bit more readily and it probably matures a little faster, we think, than a hamstring or even a quad tendon who doesn't have that bone, bony bone interface. So that's why I, patella, I, I like the patella tendon graft. It's a nice strong graft. Um, it's been tried and tested. It's, it's survived the years of, of testing. Um, and then you have the, the hamstring and quad tendon graft that are just soft tissue grafts. So they have to be sewn into basically the femur and the tibia. And then you wait for that fixation to hopefully heal. Um, and, and it will, it does heal. It does well. Um, and then it, 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 the ligamentization process takes longer. The healing, the maturity takes longer than a patella tendon graft. And that's always my skepticism. That could be a reason why they stretch out a little bit more. Uh, and a hamstring graft, quad tendons, a more of a robust graft, a bigger graft. Um, so you have a positive and negative of each one. It's just, what's the best for your athlete sitting in front of you? And again, I, I start patella tendon and I try to figure out why not patella tendon, you know, <laughs> as, as a good approach. And, uh, for the quad tendon, does one yeah. side have a bony piece? We'll be back after a quick break. I hope you're enjoying the podcast episode. If you want to learn more from me, please check out my website, mikereinold.com. In addition to all my great articles, videos, and podcast episodes, I have a ton of online CEU courses, as well as my inner circle online mentorship and community. Be sure to subscribe to my free newsletter where I'm always sending you great info and exclusive perks and discounts. Just head to MikeReynolds.com to get started. Thanks so much. Uh, sometimes I think they've gotten away from that. You mm. can't take it from the patella. Um, and to say to, to one side would be from the patella, the other side obviously would attach to like siding going into muscle. Um, and so they take, I, I, I don't think the surgeons are doing, um, one, one sided, you know, bony fixation. I just think it's a soft tissue graft at this point. It's a big old graft. It's like a massive wad of tissue that they're putting in the knee. So it's good. It's strong. Um, it, it does well. It seems like it, it used to be done years ago. This was probably when I was a new PT and it didn't do well. And so we got away from quad tendon, but um, they've gotten better, I guess, better fixation techniques and better ways to manipulate the tissue to get it to withstand the forces that are needed. And there's very little, very little incision. It's a tiny incision. You can kneel on the knee uh, versus patella tendon. A lot of people, that's the number one thing with the patella tendon graft is kneeling on the knees. So somebody has to work on their knees. Uh, somebody who's in uh, that position a lot, um, you know, carpentry, plumber, or even like a catcher or something. I don't even know. Maybe, maybe a patella tendon, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not for them, but, um, that's the number one issue is the anterior pain, the kneeling pain, but otherwise, uh, patella and quads seem to be, you know, in the hamstring are going to be your big three. 
I tend to get patella and quad are my kind of one and two right now. And hamstring is, we'll probably talk a little bit more about hamstring, but <laughs> ham, hamstring, I'm still, um, I'm, I'm still with uh, our younger athletes. <laughs> I still can't get over the humps of it. Despite my many discussions with Lynn Sadamackler, who I love, Lynn from Delaware, we talk about it all the time. And, you know, we, there's, there's a benefit of each and there's a risk of each. It's just a matter of weighing it for each person. Right. And, and with, with the hamstring graft, you said like the, the quad tendons robust. The hamstring graft yeah. is actually pretty thick, right? They take a really big piece of the hamstring, right? Yeah. I mean, they take your, oftentimes your semi-T, your semi-tendinosis and your gracilis, and they can make a four-strand graft out of it. Sometimes they're not sufficient enough and they have to use a cadaver to make a hybrid graft. And so when you start having to mess with stuff like that, we don't know that, and that's another negative of using a hamstring is you don't know until you get into the surgery that the hamstring is not robust enough. And so now they have to think about an allograft combined with the hamstring graft, or they have to punt and use uh, something else. And you have to, you know, you have to verify all this prior to surgery that we may have to make a change in, in intra-surgery and drop. Um, and so I, I'm just not prepared for all that. <laughs> so I, I just, plus if they take your semi-T and your gracilis, those are two very prominent dynamic stabilizers of the knee. Right. Some people will say that the tendon does grow back. So if you take the tendons out of those muscles, that red muscle is now just floating in the back of your knee without an attachment to the bone for maybe a year or two. I think Lynn Steiner has talked about one of her previous uh, researchers uh, did some studies on this and show, has shown that the tendon will grow back and they think it'll grow back similar to what it was prior to the surgery. But at a year or two, it's still not the same, which means you're not getting hamstring activation the same. And we know hamstring is a huge dynamic stabilizer, anterior tibial translation, which is a huge thing we're trying to prevent after an ACL. You know, so again, you, you're, you're trying to piece stuff together where you, the patella tendon, you don't have to deal with that stuff. The big thing is anterior knee pain. If you rehab it correctly, you don't have to necessarily deal with any of the other secondary stuff that goes along with it. That's why I tend to go the <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. Yeah, I, But, you know, I, I think it's a good point, right? Because we, we have a problem with quadricep strength after ACL reconstruction. That's well-documented, right. uh, a big issue right. that we have. When you take the hamstrings, now you potentially have a problem with both the quadriceps and the hamstrings with, with, right. with getting their strength back over time. So I can see that being an interesting, you know, negative. Um, I, I often wonder, too, sometimes if sometimes is a bigger, is a bigger graft a good thing or a bad thing? Is there such thing as being right. too thick of a graft yeah. where it, it consumes too much space, maybe restricts a joint. It, has that been discussed? Yeah, that was discussed during that Twitter storm. Um, and we talked about that a little because the quad tendon is so robust that if the surgeon doesn't account for that tissue, um, and, and most surgeons are good, like I, I give them credit, they, they are on their stuff. But some I've seen with, if they don't do a notchplasty or create space for that graft, you're going to get pinching of the graft within the intracondylar notch. So you have your two condyles in between. There's a space where the BCL attaches. If they don't account for that robust tendon or robust ligament that's going to be living in there, um, then it's going to rub on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the notch and you can lose motion. So I've, I've seen it up here where the person is, just can't get extension. Their knee keeps um, you know getting stuck at zero or, or other... Or, um, uh, you know, lacking extension range of motion. And it turns out that the graft was impinging 
on the notch because it was a notch plasty done where they actually shaved down bone to create extra space in the in the joint. So that's something you need to consider as well is did they have a notch plasty if they had a quad tendon? If they didn't, that could be explaining why you're struggling with their range of motion. And that that's definitely a uh, preconceived uh, notion that I have that one of the potential issues with a quad tendon is uh, sometimes some limitations in restoring your knee extension. So um, yeah. is is that is that real? Is that a is that false? Is that a false a false preconception on my part, or is that real? No, I've seen it. I've seen it recently. I've had a, a kid where I inherited kind of inherited his case and struggling to get his motion back. I'm like this is weird, and you start thinking it's a cyclops lesion. Um, if you're up with the Cyclops lesion, it's just a water scarring in the front of the knee um, from the remnants of the old ACL. And it turned out there wasn't a notchplasty done. And they had to go back in and create an extra, they had to shave down bone in his knee. And that completely freed up his joint. We were able to, now we were dealing with months and months of not getting the knee extended. But once we did the notchplasty, it gave us the ability to actually get the knee to be able to straighten out. And his motion came back, his function came back, and it was smooth sailing after that. He was back wow. to playing lacrosse. That's so, right. yeah, no, I've, I've seen it even recently. So it does still happen and you have to, as a PT or an athletic trainer, you need to be aware of that stuff and yeah. maybe get the op note and see if it was done. And, and that's when you start communicating. You don't want to question the surgeon. We just say, I'm still struggling. You know, it's, it's a good quad tendon graft. I've seen these before. You know, what do we think? Do we think that the, the graft is impinging? Remember, the graft is going to expand too. It, it gets engorged with blood as it's becoming a ligament. And so it, the, whatever was in there for a diameter is now probably a little bit wider, take up more space at the joint. Um, as it's maturing. So you get to account for that too. Yeah. And then it kind of goes back down to normal size. I, I always assume that just it maybe it was a little easier to scar from the incision and, and just from the graft site, just anteriorly, maybe somehow that gets stuck. But, but you know, uh, you know, considering it's, it's probably that yeah. plus some of the notch plasty or, or, or even right. just the size, that, that is an interesting thing, or at least something if you do have a quad tendon in front of you that you should yeah. keep an eye out for. Uh, it's definitely always in my head that. when I'm, uh, when I always get an op report, you try to get an op report with your athletes or with your patients. And so you fully understand what went on the surgery because you'd be surprised like, oh, they had, he had a grade three or grade four, you know, cartilage issue or big old bone bruise on the lateral tibial plateau and lateral conduct. Well, that, that's changed my rehab. I don't want somebody to be going maybe as fast and creating and you wonder why their swelling persists three, four months out of surgery. They probably have a bone bruise and you're trying to have a, you know, jog past that. So getting a little piece of information from an operative post can be huge. So, and again, you'll find out if they did a notchplasty uh, in, in your patient. Yeah, I like that. So uh, now one, I know in Birmingham, in Birmingham, they all did notch plasties, all of them. And so I put that question out on social media, and it would seem like surgeons aren't big into that anymore. Um, but it seems like some are still doing a bunch of them, and some are completely not unless needed. So again, I know we're talking about a lot of notch plasties, a new word for a lot of people. So look it up and, and, and try to figure out you know how it applies to your, your practice and the people that you're seeing from your surgeons. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good tip. And um, one thing we we kind of uh, we glanced over quickly here, but is, I wanted to talk about a little bit more here is a lot of people. If you say, um, you know, what's the difference in strength between these three different graft types? A lot yeah. of people are going to come and, and hit you with the concept. Well, a hamstring graft is stronger, right. you know, probably because yeah. it's thicker, right? And it's just right. you know physics from that standpoint. A lot say it's stronger, but you know, I'm I, I, every time somebody says that, I always go back and think, well, it's not just the strength of the graft. It's also the fixation strength Correct. of the graft within the bony tunnels, right? Yeah. So, so you glance on that a little bit, which I thought was neat. The patellar tendon has bony plugs on both ends that get to sit within the the the, the tunnels and right. actually heal bone to bone and allow some vascularity to come.
income from that bone right. growth. I, right. I, I think that's something that people shouldn't underestimate, right? You know, compared to a soft tissue, just, just kind of digging in there. So, um, you know, so what's the difference between graft strength and fixation strength? Do we know any of the science behind that? Yeah, I, I would say from a PT standpoint, um, it's, uh, to me, it seems like bony healing um, allows me to do things a little faster. When you know the bone is healed, that six to eight week go, your bone healing and bone, you get vascular, vascularization happening. Um, I think that that's a p- positive thing for the graft. And so uh, with the hamstring, again, there might be a slight change in the amount of laxity or maybe even a pivot shift long-term in some of the literature. Um, and is that something that is caused by the graft fixation? I don't know if we've studied that. I don't know if we know that 100%. I know that's a big difference in the two. Now, to go back to your point about graft uh, strength, they're all stronger than our native ACL, right? <laughs> Good if you point. look at, if you look at the hall, <laughs> so no matter what our ACL pull, uh, tear uh, amount of force needed to tear it, a patella tendon, hamstring, and a quad tendon, if you, the amount of strength or force it needs to tear it are all exceeds what our native ACL is. So whatever you're putting in, it's better, right, than um, our ACL at time zero. And then they slowly become ligament and gets closer to what our native ACL is, but they all stronger. Hamstring, yeah, it is stronger. It's a stronger tissue type, uh, uh, tear type, but the retear rate, ironically, is higher statistically in numerous studies um, with uh, hamstring than a patella tendon. And so why? What, what, what are we missing? Is it that they were taking the dynamic stabilizer out? Is it that um, the fixation is the point of weakness um, with the hamstring versus patellatin. Again, I don't know if we can if that's studyable. Um, so many variables that go with it. Again, the rehab is so critical to these people, but I know it seems like a significant difference and the patellatin has been, has been tested and tested and it's still used on our high-level athletes. And it seems, I, that's why I always go back to it for my, again, teenage, mature teenager where the growth plates are closed, fit 16 to 22, 25 years old. So yeah, fixation uh, and retail rates. It's just, I, I can't get through that. I can't get past that with my athletes. And I hate to say it too, because this is just an N of one with one clinician being me. But <laughs> um, at, when I'm doing like a Lockman, I'm doing, you know, even a pivot shift down the road and you're kind of, you know, checking on somebody over the course of their ACL reconstruction. The, I don't want to say it happens a lot, but if I think back into the history of, of people that I felt were lax after an ACL reconstruction, it was almost always a hamstring and then almost always even more so an allograft that yeah. I've felt six, seven, eight, nine months down the road, you do a Lockman, you're like, whoa, that's pretty loose right there. You know, where a a patellar tendon to me seems to restore the normal kind of, you know, translation that we see in a Lockman compared to the others. Is that misinformation? I'll be the first to admit. I just, you know, right. But, or or is that just a a small sample size in my hands? I I think it depends on, it depends on the person. It depends on the surgeon. Um, You know, you could do KT testing of these people which is using, you know, a little bit more objective information to, to get the amount of translation going on in millimeters. Um, I, I think statistically, it's probably all very close. I think you're going to get a little bit more laxity in, in studies that in the hamstring graph than a teletonic graph. So t- statistically overall, yeah, probably. In the people that we see, we may be able to feel that. I think you can feel that. And I probably have, I have definitely felt it too with a hamstring. Um, but they're all solid graphs. They're all a solid 
um, you know, fixation, relative fixation, and they're all a good option. I just, I, I, I just worry again that the hamstring and the and, and an allograft, not that they're in the same world. They're just not my top two right now. It's again going back to consultant question, just because of the retail rate, and I see a lot of female athletes. I just don't want to take a, a, a robust and nice tendon from that from that person and, and risk and risk it for them. So yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think they do get point. a little a little stretchy, especially because we see a lot of females, and females right. tend to have a little bit more mobility, and maybe it, it plays into what we're feeling with a lockman suit. That's a good point. That's a good point too, with, with between the genders. So, um, I, I, I think, I, I think I have a good understanding of the cons of the soft tissue grafts, the allografts that, that yeah. we've kind of talked about. Um, I, I don't know if we hit this enough, but what are the cons and why aren't we just doing patellar tendon grafts, bone, te- bone, patellar tendon, bone grafts right. with, with autographs with everybody? What are the cons of that? Yeah. I mean, it's a big surgery. So it's, it's the dissecting the tissue or whatever you get bone involved, that painful. Um, and so, you know, and then it, you have, it's right on the front of your knee. So kneeling pain is your number one issue. You get some loss of sensation, um, along the knee as well. And when they take out the tendon, uh, just by cutting through the skin. So people sometimes can't handle that. Um, it's, you know, you get bone pain, you have tendon coming out, you have anterior knee pain, you have swelling, uh, the quads tend to struggle to come back because you have uh, muscular inhibition from pain and swelling. So it's tough to get the quads back and they, they took out the middle third of your patella tendon. And so I, I can see in the older athlete, um, maybe going a uh, hamstring, but again, I, I, I've seen enough in my practice that hamstrings for me, and maybe it's me, maybe, maybe it's the way I treat them. They struggle sometimes to get their motion back and like their, their flexion, they get posterior knee pain from where they take the graft out. Um, and they, uh, they struggle sometimes in my hands with extension and I am a stickler to try to get knee extension back for some reason that because they take the hamstring out posteriorly, they don't want to get their knee into full extension because of, because of where they took the graft out, I think. And so I struggled with that. So patella tendon, again, it's, it's going to be more that anterior knee pain and, and, and quad and quad inhibition, but for an athlete, I'll, I'll, I'll get them through that. I'll talk them through it. I'll walk them through it and, you know, we can ice and use tens and, it was a nice uh, sports section, uh, SIG, uh, I think it was a strength and conditioning SIG that talked about, um, you know, a muscular inhibition uh, after an ACL. And he ironically talked about using TENS, using ICE, and get this, ready? Sorry, social media world. Pulsed ultrasound. What? That is, that is, that is such, so, that's a damaging to the profession lens. So, so if we use those three, prior to doing our strength training so meaning early stim early bfr leg raises all that early stuff if you do that stuff and try to get some of the swelling out then that muscular inhibition that is that goes along with the acl is decreased and your ability to get the quad back enhances so i thought it was very interesting and it kind of glanced over and i kind of pointed it out in during the talk during the zoom meeting but i thought it was interesting that you know there are there is a study it's positive, but we don't want to talk about positive ultrasound studies um, <laughs> in tens that shows that you can't get the quadric. So it, it's something that maybe that's a checkbox for patella tendon is not as bad or, or quad tendon is not as bad because you have some tools to use to get that quad to come back. 
my impression of a patellar tendon rehab, I feel like we, and you kind of said it well, you called yourself a stickler. Actually, you called yourself a stickla, just stickler. With, with, with the Boston accent, a stickla. But, you know, Lenz is a stickler to get his knee extension back. If I had to, like, define patellar tendon rehab in, in my mind, we have to be much more on top of the person initially, maybe the first two yep. to four weeks. There's a little bit more of, you know, effort and <laughs> attention to making sure that they're clicking in the steps versus uh let's just wait and let the knee settle down for a little bit there's a little bit right. more attention but right. again achievable right that we can get over some of those cons if Definitely. we're paying attention to it and you and you know it and, and and that might even be one of the most important aspects of what we get out of this podcast episode as an example is just to understand that there's going to be some differences between our approaches based on the different graphs right De- yeah definitely and I think you can really make or break a rehab process those first two to four weeks. That's why I think it's so critical. You, you got to get buy-in. The patient has to be comfortable with you and your knowledge and how you're communicating it to them. And they need to see the fruits of their labor. They're in pain. They're, they're hurting at home. So you give them stuff to do. Um, and they start to see that their knee is coming down. The swelling is going away. They're not in as much pain. They're okay with getting the knee straight or even a little hyperextension. And they're like, wow, this is, this is actually working. Their flexion's coming back. I get a kid right now hockey player from uh, Middlebury College. He, you know, I'm going to see him in a little while after I stop recording this podcast. And I'm hoping his knee is doing well over the weekend because he was cruising. And, you know, he's got a CPM at home, which I know is controversial, but I think that's helped him a ton with pain. He doesn't have to use narcotics as much anymore, if any. Um, and his motion's coming back really easily, including his, his extension because he's feeling good about it. His swelling's going down. His flexion's coming. He's not scaring in and getting, getting frustrated and getting, getting anxious about his knee. And I think this whole process is a little easier the first two to four weeks because we're building a positive uh, environment for him to, you know, to prosper and get his knee uh, to feel good and get him feeling good about the rehab process. It's huge. Absolutely yeah. huge. I, I, I think th- those are all important concepts that, you know, to keep in mind, I think that's important. So, yeah. um, one thing we haven't talked about yet, kind of <laughs> curious about this, what, what about contralateral graphs, right? So we yeah. just assumed we were talking ipsilateral, meaning you're taking the graph right. out of the same knee. What, what yeah. if you, you tear your ACL on the right and you, you want to take a contralateral graph from the other side to help with that knee? What, what, why do people do that? What are some of the pros and cons of that? Yeah, no, I think it's a great option. And Dr. Shelbourne down in Indianapolis has been doing it for years. And I interacted with his therapist online on social media. And I, I think they got a good thing going on down there. And, you know, for me, you know, if somebody tears their ACL and they had a patella tendon graft uh, initially, I wouldn't be against recommended, recommending a contralateral patella tendon graft prior to some of the other graft options. I think it's still... Um, it's, it's not a bad rehab, believe it or not. When you, when you tear the AC, when you have to take the graft from the other side, that area heals pretty quickly. They do really well. Really. You'd be surprised. You think, oh, you get to rehab two knees now and it's a pain for them and a person's hurting. It's not that bad. Um, and they do really, they do really well. Um, and again, so if you're interested in some of that stuff, Dr. Shelbourne, uh, down in Indianapolis is kind of the guy for that. And so I would probably, I would throw that option out there for the person as a, let's do a cod, let's talk about a contralateral before we talk about a hamstring. I don't know if they'll want to use a quad tendon after take out the telatendon, but if they want to use a hamstring tendon for your revision, maybe we start talking about a contralateral patellatendon first, if they're young, athletic, and trying to get back to a particular, a particular sport or something like that. You know? I, are, are contralateral graphs just for revisions or somebody doing that as the primary surgery? No, they're doing it as a, this, the primary surgery. And so... I don't, I don't know if I've seen it up here. Um, 
very much. Probably if a Shelbourne fellow ended up in Boston, we'd probably see it from them. But um, I think he's kind of the man doing that. And so his, his we'll say, disciples of him, so to speak, uh, is um, they're bringing it to their practice. But I would, I would definitely consider that an option for a revision. Uh, maybe even a, for a primary, but again, I don't think I've certainly do it. So I just go for teletendon on the ipsilateral side or on the same side. I also want to talk about the beer procedure too, just not to, as if we're talking about other graft choices, uh, it's not really a graft. It's using um, stem cells implanted into the torn ACL, your native ACL, and that's used as well. So that's another option as well. That's being done, uh, research is being done here at Children's Hospital in Boston. So I think that's another kind of, out of the box thinking that's an option for people. It's still being researched and it's, um, I don't think it's FDA approved yet. I don't think, um, but it seems promising. Martha Murray is doing research out of children's hospital. Um, we've had one person go rehab that I've seen and she's doing well. Um, again, it's still experimental. So I'm still waiting to see, you know, how that does. But it's an interesting concept to be able to basically have the two ends of the ACL basically fuse back together via a stem cell of a, a bridge, so to speak, bear-enhanced um, um, rehab or bear-enhanced reconstruction, um, putting stem cells within the two um, ends of the ACL graft, and then it'll basically fuse back together and grow. So it's an interesting concept to not have to take a graft out as well. But that, again, that would be amazing. Wait on I, that. I mean, that crazy, could, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and I mean, the benefits of that are enormous, right? Like, because most of what we talked about with these pros and cons are from the graft, right? It's not, yeah, you know, right. it's, it's so, right. you know, I mean, if you, if you can make some advancements in that field, I think that's, that's enormous. Uh, yep. what, what are the current indications for the bear procedure right now? I think it has to be that it's a mid-substance tear. Um, and so they be, they need to be able to basically get the two ends and basically get them to go back together. Um, and so I think that's the big thing. Um, but I, I think it seems very promising um, again, I don't see a lot of them, I, even though sh- the surgeon's like five minutes from us. I don't know where they're rehabbing. They haven't stumbled into our facility unless they have a protocol that they have to stay in children's, but I, I doubt that. Um, and so I would love if more came to us, if my friend wanted to reach out and we could work with her somehow with Dr. Murray, um, that would be great to be able to, you know, interact with them and, 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 and kind of dive into the, that data. And I think also another doc, uh, down in, uh, HSS. He's doing ACL repairs. So again, a lot of people misuse the term repair and they're talking about reconstruction. No, he's actually doing um, repairs of of the of a proximal uh, tearing. And so um, if you if you look at some of his research, some doctors will say he's crazy. Um, but I have seen one, I have an N equals one, and he is doing really good work. And it's their quads come back really easy. It's Dr. D, D. Felice um, down in HSS. And so there is some research on that too showing if you have a proximal tear of the graft or, or if your primary, your native ACL, he can go in and basically sew it back down uh, to the femur and the, the proprioception comes back, the quads come back, and it's an amazing rehab process that I've seen. Again, N equals one for me, but he's a big proponent of it and it seems promising as well. But it has to be a very specific tearing of, the, of, the, of your native ACL, kind of like the bear procedure. 
That's super interesting. I like that. Yeah. And I like, the, I like these new approaches that we're seeing. Uh, is, is anybody trying, you know, the trend that we're seeing like in the ankle, the elbow is doing a repair with an internal brace. Is that something that's being, uh, you know, kind yep. of, kind of thought about anywhere is actually using like an augmented, uh, yep. you know, you know, biological tissue tech to kind of mesh almost and, and repair it with some, uh, some extra, uh, strength to it. Is that a thing that's happening yet? Yeah, that's what he's doing. So he, he reinforces that repair. So again, truly a repair. Um, and he'll put the internal brace in there. And they are doing really well, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, I've talked to him. I, we had a, 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 a phone call on the drive home from work one night. And he's very passionate about it. He's presenting data on it, published papers on it. And it's something that I keep in mind. Believe it or not, I can talk offline when we get off the, the podcast. <laughs> yeah, one of our friends... You and I has had this procedure done down in Birmingham with Dr. Dugas. Mm. And so I'm um, curious how he's doing. But um, we can get the real scoop. I, I, I like what of, you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. But no, it's it's an interesting proposal and it's an interesting concept. Again, we're using internal brace for everything, right? Ankles right. for, you know, elbow Tommy Johns and it, he's using it for ACLs. And it seems like so far um, it's for the appropriate person. It's an option. And, you know, the, the ones we're seeing at the elbow, the ankle, I mean, they're doing great. So, you know, really we, we, we don't necessarily, you know, have, have, have anything crazy. No, so, yeah. so, so it's funny, maybe in the future, I don't know how many years, like three, five, eight, I don't know how many years it is. I wonder if this conversation is even completely moot because we've moved on to things. We're talking about stem cells. We're talking about internal bracing of repairs. I, I mean, you know, the future is really interesting that we kind of, you know, keep our eye on for these ACL graft options. So I, uh, I hope so. Although we've been, how long is an ACL? Dr. Clancy was doing them in the 70s right friend of ours. Um, and so we're what 50 years later which is scary that that's even talked about and we're still talking about patella tendons and hamstrings and all that right. so as much as i know the future is going to be exciting we still tend to hold on to what's tried and true right it's, yeah it's, for sure so interesting. all right I, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot. So you're, you know, you're, I don't, I don't want to call you elderly, but so when, when do you go from, from uh, midlife to late life? Are you late life yet? When do you, I think I'm, I mean, I'm going to, you're mid. I'll be, 40, I'll be 48. So I'm, I'm midlife. That means I'm going to be 96 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I, <don't know> about- <laughs> um, I, I love it. So, all right. So you, you Len, you tear your ACL tomorrow. What are you going to do? Yeah. Ooh. Um, on yeah, the spot. I, such, I know I probably, um, I would probably consider either, um, I, I, I'd probably go either a hamstring or, or a quad tendon just to experience it. Um, because I still <laughs> want to be just, I, 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 I have to, I have to weigh the risks and rewards for me. I don't do skiing. So I'm not a big cutting kind of athlete. So I'm not doing, um, soccer. I'm not doing volleyball. I'm not doing basketball. I basically golf. Or mess around at work. So can I get away with the hamstring? Maybe. I'm 48 and I just want to get back to walking and golf. That's kind of my, my thing. Um, and, you know, maybe some light weight training. I've been doing 16 kilogram goblet squats for about five years now. Um, and so I don't need to be doing, you know, CrossFit type stuff or anything like that. So um, I don't know. I would consider hamstring or a quad tendon as something viable for, for me, definitely. Um, yeah. tendon, I'd probably reserve it for younger lining. I, I feel like I, I was the same thing. I remember, I remember 10 years ago, if you asked me this question, I would say, oh, definitely patellar tendon. And I definitely right. feel like as I'm, as I'm getting older, I definitely start to, to, you know, yeah. think, you know, maybe I should go hamstring that type of thing. So, um, yeah. all right. What, what about your daughter? Your daughter's in high school. She's a competitive yeah. dancer, right? Yeah. Uh, she tears her ACL. What do you recommend her yeah. do? 
Um, I would probably, if she's got mature growth plates, she's 16 years old. Um, I'd go patella. I'd recommend a patella tendon. I wouldn't do a hamstring tendon on her. I just, I just couldn't do it. I can't recommend it for my patient. I can't recommend it for family members. I just, I want those dynamic stabilizers. I want the, the strong fixation. I want the research backed patella tendon compared to a hamstring. Again, hamstring is an awesome option. It's a great option, but for a female, um, who is potentially, you know, getting back to a cutting sport knowing the risks and rewards and, and the ability of the hamstrings to regenerate. Yeah, probably they do. Yes, they do. But is it a strong? I just, I, I want that strong patella tendon uh, graft fixation and, 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 and trust the rehab. I would, I don't know if I would rehab her, but yeah. um, somebody would, and I would have to trust <laughs> that rehab, you know? Well, you, you know, I always go back to, I, I remember doing this, this is a little bit ago, but um, you know, I helped rehab Dr. Andrews' daughter after she tore yeah, her ACL, right? So, that's right. you know, yeah. you have, you have Dr. Andrews in Alabama, you know, one of the, you yeah. know, most, most well-known, you know, and she did a patellar tendon graft, right? So, yeah. you know, for right. me again, like that means a lot to me that Dr. Andrews would do that on his own daughter, right? Pretty have, daunting, yeah. right? To do surgery on your right. own daughter, but, uh, you know, pretty, pretty interesting. So awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, great stuff, Len. I think we learned a ton about ACL grafts. Uh, let's get to the high five. This is where we learn a little bit more about you, right? Oh, five yep. quick questions, five quick answers to learn about the deeper inner working of Lenny's brain. You ready? All right. Question number one, what are you, <laughs> what are you currently doing? And what are you reading? What are you working on for your own development, your own con ed? Uh, my own development and con ed, I am working on kind of systemizing our return to sport testing. Uh, we just got the bald force plate and force uh, frame. Uh, so I am really trying to figure out how we can really get a good system going for um, creating programs for our athletes to be able to return to their sport, return to their full participation. So what are we testing at 12, 16, 18 weeks, whatever it is, all the way up to nine plus months and really trying to understand how the fourth plates work. I've been working with our strength coaches and really trying to come up with a good system to put in place to be able to test people. So that's kind of my deep dive has been return to sport testing with the equipment that we have because it's all over the place, right? Hop testing, blah, blah, blah. It's all over the place what's out there. And I'm just trying to <laughs> figure out what, what we can do that's best for us, best for our patients. So you know how sometimes, <laughs> you, you know, you, you see social media clips of like sound bites from like, from, from podcasts. I think, yeah. I think that's going to be the sound bite. <laughs> Hop test, blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that tells you what Lenny thinks of hop test. Right. I like that, but right. uh, that's awesome. All right, so <laughs> maybe this is the next question here, but next question is, what's one thing that you've recently changed or evolved your thoughts on? Uh, everything I do in PT, I feel like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think um, probably blood flow restriction is definitely something I've used more um, for lower body stuff. Uh, probably open chain knee extension type stuff. I used to be a little more conservative with that and then kind of dive into the literature and just kind of, you know, just social media chats. You know, it's like, why, why are we, why are we being so restricted with that? The big key is getting the quads back. So I want to do everything I can to get those quads back. So I've gotten from uh, being conservative with that and, um, and trying to be, I don't know if it's not aggressive, I guess it's progressive. It's just stand on top of the literature and understanding the literature a little bit better. So a lot of it focuses on ECL. I treat a lot of ECLs. I treat a lot of Tommy John. It's my two worlds. So um, that's kind of my, what I've got to focus on is the people that I see. So I think it's just being a little bit more in tune with what the, the research is telling us on um, open chain stuff. Awesome. What yeah. is the number one best piece of advice that you give students and, and even young professionals, but yeah, I know you, you work yeah. with a lot of people. What's the, what's your number one piece yeah. of advice for them? I, I say get your hands dirty. Um, you know, both you and I, we started up in Birmingham and we were treating a ton of people a day and every day. And it's just, it's so, it's so important to get that mental 
database of people that you see, people that experiences and how they progressed. And so, so just dive in and hopefully you have some help from somebody. And we, we did. We had Kevin and all the other PTs were so gracious to help us. And uh, But it's just getting that mental database of people because you'd be surprised how the bad cases stick in your head, right? You never remember the good ones. You always remember the bad ones. And those those little tidbits will stay in your head for the future patients that you see. And it's so important to be able to tap into that every once in a while when you have a, a funky case pre- presenting in front of you or a new case where you just, you're ready for it because you know you've been battle tested, right? With you, you don't get nervous when you have an ACL with a, I don't know, an ACI or some kind of coddling procedure. You're ready because you've treated an ACI, you've treated an ACL. And so now you can put it together and, and get that, feel confident and get that person rehab. So I think it's just seeing as many people as possible and creating, and creating, um, I guess, relationships with people, you know, and, and going to meetings and talking to doctors and other PTs because having that ability to talk to them and maybe uh, bounce ideas off them is critical. And maybe it'll open, it'll open doors for you as well. Awesome. What's Even coming up? In, yeah, that, that was too. I didn't want to penalize sure. you for that. This yeah. is the high six. Yeah. You know, we don't have yeah. six fingers. But, right. uh, but, uh, but uh, what's coming up next for you, Len? Next for me, um, I see because of uh, the pandemic and everything, I've kind of taken some time off from traveling and speaking. So I've had a bunch of people reach out to me to try to go and things. I think everybody's dying to have an in-person course. So I'm trying to figure out if I want to dive back into that world, <laughs> up, update all my talks. So uh, that'll probably be happening uh, either this year or 2023. Um, and I'd also love to for you and I to get an overhead athlete course out. I think that's huge. We have our knee course already, the online uh, knee course. And I think there's so much information out there on, on baseball players and overhead athletes that I think sharing our knowledge, I think would be huge for them. Cause I think we're always getting questions from people and we're always seeing some stuff out there that we don't always agree with. And I just think having something that we've, we've utilized, we do it all the time. Again, I treat ACLs and Tommy John's I <laughs> my two worlds right now and your connections with your baseball world. I think that would be huge is to, uh, is to get that to, to the people as well. Maybe a little sneak peek there, Len. I love Maybe. it. So, so how do we learn more about you? Where can we find you online or, you know, websites, yeah. social media? Where, where do we learn more about Lenny? I am uh, always, I'm always hovering around Twitter uh, at LenMacPT, L-E-N-M-A-C-P-T. I'm on Instagram, same handle. Um, I have a Facebook page. I also have my website, LennyLacrina.com and a YouTube channel. So I am everywhere and always, despite my wife giving me dirty looks because i'm on my phone um just kidding um, <laughs> i am always hovering and i'm always going to have a comment for you <laughs> you are on twitter a lot i like I, 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 I definitely i'll go dark on social media and i just i stay i look over at you and you're, you're <laughs> on your phone i'm like he's he's tweeting at somebody i just i don't know how yes. you do it, but that's awesome i think it's so. a great it's a great way to communicate it's a little controversial but it's, it's fun it's fun to interact with people <laughs> And yeah. hear all the sides of the story. Keep my mind open, definitely. I agree. I agree. Well, awesome. Yep. And thanks so much for taking on uh, some time to join us today to talk about ACL graphs. That was great. Thank you again, man. Yeah, thanks. I'll see you at work sometime. <laughs> <laughs> so, sounds good. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to me. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeRano.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And also be sure to search for my other podcast, The Ask Mike Reinald Show, where my team of physical therapists, strength coaches, and I answer your questions. See you on the next episode.